Welcome to the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. We are your source on what's going on at the university, the Alumni Association, and all things Runner Nation. Because now and forever, we are Roadrunners. Welcome, Runner Nation, to another episode of the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. I am your host, Drew Addison, and with me, as always, is the President of Alumni Association and my beautiful wife, Yvonne. How are you today? Good. Glad to be back with our Roadrunner Nation once again. I'm super excited about this interview today. We had the fantastic opportunity of getting to interview Executive Director of the San Antonio Zoo and Alumni Association Board member Tim Morrow um, at the zoo, so at, at his office. So it was probably one of the coolest locales for an interview that we've done so far. Yes, except we didn't get to pet any of the animals, so we'll have to go back. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and even asking uh, the executive director of a zoo like what your favorite animal is is kind of difficult as well. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of a tough question. And when we got in there, and you'll hear it on the interview, he does mention a, a rogue scorpion running in his office. So the entire time we're just kind of stressed out of you know waiting for this giant black scorpion to climb up our legs. But you'll hear more about that. Um, another thing we do discuss as well is the zoo membership drive that starts on October 28th. Uh, Yvonne, what is that all about? So we are going to be running a great campaign. It'll kick off the day before this interview goes live. But we do want to mention it today to let everybody know that current Alumni Association members can sign up for an annual zoo membership for $35. That's a $92 value for just $35 bucks, or a joint membership for $60. And you should be seeing an email popping up in your inbox so look out for that or social media will be posting a lot about it on social media get the word out share it with your friends and family let everybody know you can join the alumni association if you're not a member yet you can do a special joint membership opportunity so you get your alumni association membership and your zoo membership for deal, 60 deal. for 60 bucks or you can do a joint membership for 120 and if you are wanting to add even more folks to your membership each zoo membership is an additional $35 so take advantage of this great opportunity to be part of two awesome organizations the alumni association and zoo and you can go and check out the zoo all year long they've got some great stuff planned and uh, we'll talk about it during the interview there's a huge value packed in that all the events that are involved the mm-hmm. discounts involved i mean just the events alone at the zoo is fantastic the fact that the alumni association we still have our tailgates going on so get your membership come out and join us at the tailgates while also joining us at the zoo events as well and remember this is for current members you can add a zoo membership or for the new prospective alumni association members uh, you can get your alumni association membership and a zoo membership all in one go so Yay. it should be thursday for current members you should get that in your inbox yeah and october 28th october 28th and the social media posts will be around that same time too so yeah. it'll be a big push for that so a lot of has happened really over the last couple of weeks since our last interview with Dean Browning. Mm-hmm. La Tech went down. <laughs> 8 and 0, a number 23 ranking, and then plenty of other exciting news in UTSA sports as well. What's going on? Yeah, so quick shout out on our famous fan favorite who won the competition. If you were paying attention on stadium or watching the game on stadium, you would have seen a, a fan favorite competition and Albert Martinez won. Wonderful UTSA alum supporter him and his wife, Lim, have been longtime volunteers with the Alumni Association, and we're really grateful for their help and their time. And of course, congratulations, Albert. That's a wonderful thing to, to be recognized. He's so 
Yes, for your school spirit. They are, I guess, maybe a row or two in front of us for season ticket holders at the football game. So we get to see them at every game. Yeah. And all the UTSA alumni events because they're always there. So And they're always on all the pictures. They are. They're like the social media. The Alumni Association loves them. I mean, I feel like every promo picture and video, they're in there somewhere, which is, I'm a little envious of that. So (laughs) it was really cool to see him on the stadium channel, him really getting rowdy and getting the fans fired up. And it was funny, it was that he was in between two La Tech fans, and both of them, like, cute little kid-type looks, and I was like, well, you know, the odds statistically are with them but albert came through and just got rowdy and got all the votes and you know thank you for all the utsa fans out there that that voted for him as well so congratulations and like yvonne said thank you both for your time and willingness to volunteer at the events if there's any other alumni out there that are interested in volunteering for any of the alumni association events please contact the alumni association at alumni at utsa.edu to continue the fire of the utsa football team uh, last week it was announced i'm sure that most alumni and, and utsa fans have read all the news and seen all the posts everywhere that utsa will be joining the american athletic conference which is huge huge for the program for the student athletes that are going to be playing across all sports so it is really exciting to kind of see that transition happen the work that the players are putting in this year in this historic season is starting already starting to pay dividends yeah and the fans the supporters absolutely people who are showing up and the students to support and the students who are showing up to support their fellow student athletes it's so wonderful i mean you just think about you know all the great opportunities that these student athletes are having to be successful not only on the field on the court but also in the classroom it's all thanks to people who come out to their games support them cheer them on so thank you so much for that absolutely and a lot of really exciting action in other sports as well Mm -hmm. Uh, women's volleyball takes on utep this weekend at home so that's a great precursor for what's going to happen after the bye week this week going into the following week for the utep game men's tennis faces rice in houston and women's tennis faces sam houston in huntsville yeah and another big record-setting program we have is the utsa women's soccer team they have had the best home season they've had in program history. They're also going to be going to the Conference USA tournament for the first time, which will be happening October 31st through November 7th. And let's talk about shutouts. So far, they have secured seven shutouts this season. That is huge. It's huge. So congratulations to Coach Pittman, to the women on the soccer team, and of course, all the staff who help them and, you know, our fans and alumni supporters who go out and support these wonderful women. Yeah, and and good luck at the tournament. I know that is a long tournament. October 31st to November 7th in Baton Rouge. You're on the road. You're away from home. You're there for a week and you're trying to perform. Let's keep those shutouts going and get the big W for UTSA. Yeah. Congratulations. And we look forward to seeing you guys hoist the trophy. Let's go ahead and just jump into the interview. Tim is such an energetic guy. Yeah. His story is fantastic. Going from his time from UTSA to working a summer job at Fiesta, Texas, to ultimately it transpiring to becoming an executive. <laughs> director of the San Antonio Zoo. In the trial and tribulations he had through COVID, through Snowvid, through all the craziness that has happened really in the last couple of years, yeah. and in all the work that they're doing and the outreach that they've done as far mm-hmm. as research and support as well. Yeah. Stick around for after the interview as we'll fill you on some more events that are coming up with the UTSA Alumni Association and the University. Enjoy it, and we'll talk soon. Birds up. Birds up. Beep, beep. Today we are at a pretty special location for an interview. We have just arrived to the San Antonio Zoo 
and kindly sat down and, and waited for our guest to have some time. He had to find a black <laughs> scorpion apparently in his in his office. So we were we we're going to be trained really quick on. We're like on clear that handle. out before <laughs> we come in. <laughs> he was still looking for it when we got in here. It was a little little nerve wracking, but it's really kind of cool to talk to an alumni again. The whole concept of this show is to talk to alumni number one in their experience with at UTSA, but then the path that they take professionally. And there's got to be a really cool backstory to speak to an executive director of a zoo, because what study path do you take to go and do that? So today we welcome Tim Morrow to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Researching you before coming over here, there's actually a lot about you. So if anybody's really interested in in learning (laughs) more about Tim, there's plenty of articles and things on him. But tell us about your experience at UTSA. What brought you to UTSA? What was the path that you took coming out of school? So I lived in San Antonio when I was a child in second and third grade. And I remember falling in love with this city as a child. And when my dad, who was in the FBI, we moved a lot, told us we were moving. I remember being devastated at the age of seven or eight that we were leaving San Antonio. So I always wanted to come back and so did my whole family, really. So we ended up settling outside of Dallas in Plano while I was fifth grade through high school, my sister fourth grade through high school. And then after she graduated, my parents retired back to San Antonio to the same neighborhood they lived out Mm. in the north side because all their friends were still there. And so I stayed in Dallas for a couple of years and was just working and not being productive and decided I need to get out of here and, and start fresh. And so moved back to San Antonio to start going to school at the Alamo Colleges and then ultimately at UTSA. You talk about making the move. And I read somewhere that you remember as a kid coming to the zoo and having that experience. And you know, in retrospect, you're, you know, here we are sitting in your office as an executive director. I mean, that's got to be a pretty interesting feeling. What was it that really got you into this industry? I mean, it's not really something that you really think about doing. I'm sure maybe there are some kids out there that are like, I'd really like to be an executive director of a zoo. <laughs> but you know, what was your path coming into this industry? Yeah, there is a lot of employees at zoos and aquariums that they knew their whole life that this is what they wanted yeah. to do. Sure. First time they went and saw a show at SeaWorld or visited the zoo or an aquarium and said, oh, that's what I'm going to do. But mm-hmm. that was not my path at all. So <laughs> yeah. My dad was, like I said, FBI agent. So I wanted to do law enforcement. I thought it was the coolest job in the world. And so when I moved back down here from Dallas, I started going to school at San Antonio College and I was getting degrees in criminal justice. Well, at the same time, Fiesta Texas was opening up, and I said, well, I have nothing to do this summer. I'll go meet some people, because the kids I grew up with when I was second and third grade are all grown up now with their own friends. So Mm. I started working at Fiesta Texas as a summer job as a lifeguard the first year, and then I'd go back to school in the fall, and every fall they would call me, hey, do you want to come back? And I would say no every single time. (laughs) And they, okay, we want you to be a trainer this year. We want you to be a supervisor. So I kept moving up on accident and kept going back. And so by the fourth year... When I was transitioning from San Antonio College, I'd gotten two degrees in criminal justice from San Antonio College, was going to go to UTSA for the same thing. And SeaWorld called me out of the blue. Hey, we want you to come work at SeaWorld. I was like, nope, don't want to do that. I want to be law enforcement. So they asked me, just come out for a tour and see if you like it. I went out for a tour. And then again, I was like, well, I have nothing else to do this summer, so I guess I'll work here. (laughs) And then I ended up with SeaWorld for 19 years. And so I worked my way up through that company and got to go to Florida for a couple years and open one of our parks there and then come back and ultimately ended up as a vice president at SeaWorld. And then a headhunting firm was looking for someone to run the zoo. Mm -hmm. And again, I said, no, it's not what I want to do. I'm going to work at SeaWorld forever. I thought the zoo was city run and city funded. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I was a little worried about the bureaucracy of working within the city confines and things like that, but was quickly told, no, we're a private nonprofit which I didn't realize. And I'd been in the same industry for 20 years over right. the zoo. So I came and walked it one day and thought, wow, I could really help the zoo. And this is my childhood zoo and where I want to raise my kids. And hopefully they raise their kids. So I can have a big impact on not only the zoo, but the entire city at the zoo, because it's such a beloved institution at 100 plus years old. And everybody comes here for generations. And so it's been really fun and fulfilling, but total accident how I ended up here. People think well, I have yeah. a degree in zoology. <laughs> I mean, I get pictures once a week of bugs and snakes and animals and stuff. But like, <laughs> what is this? And I'm like, 
no idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> so I just send it to the guys and they send it back and then I look like a genius. But. I mean, that's so crazy too. I mean, like how many times were you drawn back in and not really realizing what the path would take you? When you get hired on by like a SeaWorld to go in and help open up parks, what were you responsible for going over? That's a great question. So I look back on my time at Fiesta Texas and SeaWorld now and everything I did was made to get me here. So mm-hmm. I got to do at SeaWorld so many different things and run so many different types of departments. So in my time there, besides even opening a brand new park, which you kind of do everything at that point, I would have two or three departments at a time as a director. So during that 10 years I was a director there, I got to run at different times, the water park, the front gate, the rides, public relations, concerts, festivals, landscaping, the Clydesdales, food warehouse, merch warehouse, shipping, receiving, park cleanliness, you name it, I got to do it. Show operation. I got to do a little bit of everything at SeaWorld. And I had a great mentor and general manager, Dan Decker, that would let me do all those things. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because we had conversations sometimes. I thought I was going to be, I'd mainly been water park. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. all this other stuff is just distracting me from water park and this and that. And my peers (laughs) are only running their water park, but I'm running a whole water park and doing the front gate and the landscape. But I look back now, I mean, that was the best thing that ever could have happened to me because sure. while I was working at a theme park, I was always like, what else could I do if I didn't work at a theme park? Right, yeah. And you know, you kind of think hospitality, hotels, or other things like that. But I got such a wide variety of experience at SeaWorld that has really helped me here because I would tell everyone I'm a master of nothing, but I know a little bit about a lot of things. Right, <laughs> so I yeah, can ask yeah. the right questions and put the right people in place. And I really enjoy surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me. And that's what this team is here is they're a great built team from all over the country. It is really incredible. I mean, because the outreach that, that the zoo has, and like you said, it is, it's a, a privately owned entity in itself, right? Is, is that a normal thing for, yeah, for city zoos? Zoos, most of them now are privatized. Most of them started as city run zoos. That's mm-hmm. why they sit in parks. I mean, you look at here's Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, New York, they sit in city parks because at one point the city ran them. The city opened mm. the zoo and ran it. So it fell under the parks director who didn't know anything about zoos either. Mm-hmm. And so our zoo had a really strong zoological society, which was the nonprofit wing of the zoo back in the 30s and 40s. And so we privatized 80 something years ago. Mm. Other zoos in the country have privatized in the last 20 to 30 years, I would say. So one of the downfalls of that is when we privatized, I think our budget was probably $2 million a year. The city said, we'll give you half of that, which saves them half. Mm-hmm. And then the society, you raise the rest through food service and merchandise and fundraising. And that million dollars has kind of dwindled down to zero now. And I look at my peers in Texas and Fort Worth and Houston to get $10 million a year on the city budget. And Dallas is getting $14 million a year because in Dallas, 20-something years ago, the city ran that zoo for $28 million a year. And they mm. cut the budget in half and have mm. the society running it. So we work definitely smarter and harder than I think most zoos in the country because we don't have any supplementation coming in from anywhere other than our visitors and donors. Mm. Yeah, you guys really had to do a lot of pivoting during COVID when COVID Mm -hmm. came out. I mean, the drive-through zoo was such an ingenious idea to keep the park open and allow people to still have an opportunity to get out and do things as a family when the other public areas just weren't open and accessible. I remember that was like really one of the first things that kind of came out on the news, like you can go to the zoo. We literally waited until the minute the mayor said the stay-at-home orders lifted because we had that ready to go. What we didn't want to do was launch it in the face of the mayor or the judge or anybody saying you should stay home right now. So we had that. We had created it. We had no idea how popular it was going to be. At the same time, we were working with the governor's office to get the zoo opened in general because we're a big outdoor location. We believed we were safe. We were working with zoos across the country, across the state, theme parks across the state. And so at one point we were like, wow, what if the governor opens us before we get to do drive through zoo? So we were just going to do a weekend of it anyway, just to see how it worked. Mm -hmm. And literally, I think within hours of the mayor kind of lifting that stay home or the next morning, 
we launched this little 20 second video on Facebook to do it for three days and it mm. sold out in two hours. So, wow. And it was the very first thing you could do out of your house. Again. Yep. So we had lines and waits for like three hours to get in here. Mm. Yeah. By the third day we had it figured out, we were flowing people through really quickly, but no complaints. People were just so happy to be out of their houses again. And when we closed, we talked about we don't get any funding. So we went to zero revenue and it cost us about a half a million a week to operate the zoo and take care of the animals. So we were just losing money. We can't lock up the doors and go home like a museum or right, a theme right. park. So we had to furlough over 400 employees, which was our basically our food service and our merchandise and our, all of our guest-facing employees. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we launched drive Through Zoo and saw it sell out in two hours, we brought them all back. So within 10 weeks, all of our staff was back. And then wow. you look through the year, we were up and down with waves of COVID and attendance restrictions and all this, but we made it through without a single layoff. And that's something this team's really proud of. But the drive Through Zoo was huge. Yeah. We invented it and then we sent yeah. it to parks, theme parks and zoos around the world. And it was used worldwide to wow. help yeah. those, not only help the zoos and those missions and theme parks, but those communities have something to safely do. Right. So how did it go? Were you like, I'm going to come into the zoo with my car to see if we can fit vehicles through it. Like, yeah. how did you, the logistics part of it? We, had a, we, have, uh, we were that? having probably daily meetings at that point because we had just been closed and I have a really creative team. You talk about thinking outside of the box. We don't even think the box exists. And I have some people here from places that have gone through multiple cuts and spending cuts and layoffs over the years. So there's some people that are really savvy about saving money, but also can't cut off your nose despite your face and then just sure. stop trying to make money also. So mm-hmm. we were really working on both. So one of our frontline marketing employees, Nathan, came up with this idea and we were sitting in the meeting. We're like, that might work. And then we literally walked to my Tahoe and drove the zoo in the Tahoe <laughs> and figured out the route. We're like, that's really cool. I mean, we drive the zoo all the time. Oh, okay. People were asking about cars at the zoo. I'm like, our maintenance guys drive the zoo every day, our food delivery trucks, our merch delivery mm-hmm. trucks, uh, contractors. And zoos and theme parks have to, by fire code, have drivable roads through most of them. Oh, uh, The wow, property okay. where a fire hose can't reach. So. We drove it in the Tahoe, and that's how literally how we came up with, okay, the maximum length is the Tahoe, and then we were able to make it a little bit longer because we had a yeah. lot of requests for suburban vans. We wanted to bring whole vans yeah. through, and so we just don't have the space to do that, but drove it, then made it up and started working on concepts and put the whole package together, and then we had worldwide recognition for that. I mean, every late night talk show, we were getting video clips from Japan and Brazil of, of this new story of this drive through zoo in Texas and stuff, so it was good for the city also, and happiest for us was to be able to bring those employees back Mm -hmm. and see this kind of newfound appreciation between employees and visitors so the Mm -hmm. visitors were just windows down thank you thank you thank you and the employees were thank you thank you thank you for coming and we have jobs still and we can do something besides sit at home and I think that's kind of carried on through that. Mm-hmm. We've seen great support since yeah. COVID and snowvid. Th- yeah. Oh, I mean, so talk about that. How did you guys make it through the winter yeah, storm? I st- I've stopped asking myself what else could happen because it's <laughs> <laughs> it keeps happening. But during snowvid, we are usually on a non-brownout blackout list with CPS. Uh-huh. And then when ERCOT, the state took over, we lost power the next day. And I'm like, call CPS and let them know our power's out. And they said, sorry, we can't help you. It's wow. state controlled now. So we have a well pump on our property that pumps. Edwards Aquifer well water into the zoo every day, mm-hmm. ultimately flows out of the zoo through a UV system and makes up 20% of the Riverwalk. So we provide a lot of water to the Riverwalk. Most mm-hmm. of the natural spring water comes from the zoo. And that water is the same temperature year round and perfect Edwards Aquifer quality like we drink out of the fountain. So when we lost that pump, we lost the fresh water coming in, which meant the water temperature started dropping. Now we have endangered species living in our waterways. Yeah. And so our team had to get together while they're working with no power, no water, ice and snow everywhere and really go in and wrangle 500, 600 pound crocodiles, alligators, move them into our indoor buildings to try to keep them warm and mm-hmm. safe, divide those buildings up with a little wall. They had to make walls, divide it up. So our, like our underwater hippo viewing was full of alligators and crocodiles. Oh wow. my gosh. And then flamingos. We had restaurants full of flamingos. 
We had vans full of turtles and tortoises. I mean, any place that we could put animals to keep them warm uh-huh. and get through that storm we were doing. At the same time, there's a sanctuary on the north side of San Antonio called Primarily Primates, who was right, in really bad the... shape. They called us, and we were taking their animals in and putting them in, in office buildings, in, in, in their carry crates in office buildings and things like oh that. Gosh. So we were helping, trying to survive ourselves, but also help our other facilities that needed some help. Wow. When you take over the role of executive director of the zoo, with it being such an old entity itself what was it like on your first few days it's got to be a little bit of a daunting task you know this is an institution at this point what was that experience like coming in and what was really the first thing on on at first it was my first first day in 20 years so i had no (laughs) idea what to do i just knew what i had always been doing for 20 years so i literally came in the office one of our board members who's our current board chair was sitting here waiting for me and thanked me for coming it's like hey the staff is all at the main restaurant we'll take you down and introduce you to the whole team because i'd met the senior leadership team but not the Mm -hmm. whole staff so they took me down and introduced me to the senior leadership team. We walked back to my office. He left, and I said, well, I guess I'm going to go start walking the zoo <laughs> taking notes. So I literally started walking the zoo with different leadership staff members and going into stands and going into the back of restaurants and kitchens, which is something that we had just been taught to do at SeaWorld. You go everywhere your employees go. You talk to your employees. And so I really enjoy talking to the staff. And it freaked out some of the people that had been here a long time. Like, why is he coming in here? What's wrong? <laughs> Are we in right, trouble? Right. I mean, you learn more from your employees and just listening to guests talk by being mm-hmm. out in the zoo than you ever will sitting in an office. Mm-hmm. And so I just started walking the zoo and we started making physical improvements right away. Like this sign behind you says cameras and film. This was right inside the front gate. And I asked, when is the last time we sold film here? And, oh, and yeah. the response was probably 12 or 15 years ago. And one of my newer VPs was 20 something. She's like, I've never even put film in a camera. So <laughs> oh my gosh. I said, take that sign down. I'll keep that. It's my reminder to not stop seeing things. And then also I have it over my door because when I worked for Anheuser-Busch with SeaWorld, Mr. Bush's big thing was always, don't forget to look up. People always forget to look up at cleanliness and quality. So that's my oh. reminder. Don't ever stop looking up and don't ever stop seeing things. But really the staff was super excited to have some change modernize the zoo and create Mm -hmm. new experiences. The director before me, awesome, legendary zoo director, was here 20 years. The director before him, awesome, legendary zoo director, was here like 37 years. Mm -hmm. And the director before them was here like 40 years. So I'm like the Mm -hmm. fourth guy in 100 years. Wow. Wow. Uh, And really lucky that the last two, Steve and Louie, are still around. And they still come walk the zoo with me and come to events and tell me all the stories about the zoo and where things are and where they used to be. So I'm lucky to have this great history in these two 50 plus years of directors That's still incredible. around. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. The mentorship is good. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. needed. Yeah. I kind of get this feeling, like I almost get this energy of there's so much going on because $500,000 a week to take care of all the animals and there's a disruption in the business. I mm-hmm. mean, that money is going because mm-hmm. the animals can't not be fed. Right. People mm-hmm. can't not work and be with them. Right. right. It's something that a lot of people really take in consideration. It's like somebody, you know, bringing a, a picture of an animal, you're saying, what is this? Yeah. It has nothing to do really with what your day to day is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you're in charge of the livelihood of this whole thing, the ins and outs of it. Yeah, I still love to walk the zoo every single day. So I have, if I have no beings, I'm like, boom, out the door and into the zoo and walking, talking to employees, talking mm-hmm. to guests. It is very dynamic. The zoo's been very dynamic the last seven years. We've put over $50 million into renovations of the zoo and mm-hmm. our school. So we operate at the top of the street here, uh, Will Smith Zoo School, which is the largest nature-based preschool in the country. We have about 240 plus kids that go to school there. And the waiting list that couldn't get in this semester was 650 kids. Wow. And the really special thing about that school, it's nature-based. They come to the zoo every single day. There's no screens or computers. They don't sit at a desk all day. They're outside learning. And so parents really connect with that kind of like all of us growing up and those days are gone. So we've had kids from Austin come to school here. We've had kids from Bigfoot, from Uvalde. Just an incredible experience. And then we built the parking garage next door to that in 20. 
18, all the years blend together. No, sorry, 2019 that opened, which is a beautiful icon now on 281. Right. We brought Kitty Park over here in mm-hmm. 2019. So we now operate Kitty Park, the oldest children's amusement park in the country. We opened Starbucks in the park in 2020. We operate the trains, three of those trains. We just got a new train. We're working on getting two more. And then we've just been upgrading habitats throughout the zoo. Right now, we're under construction for our Neotropica area and our new Jaguar walk called Pantera Walk. And then we've already announced next year's attraction. We're redoing the entire Kronkowski Tiny Tot Nature Spot. So you take all those things and then layer. I mean, we've been under construction since the day I got here. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I remember first walking the zoo, first couple weeks, and a guest stopped me and asked me, when is the construction going to be done? And my answer was like, never. Like, we should never stop being under construction because it's like the Golden Gate Bridge. You get to one end, you got to come back and start redoing things again. Being an older zoo, an older entity has been around since before there was internet. Just trying to keep everything as interactive as possible. What are some of the major changes that you saw that needed the immediate need to upgrade the zoo as The first was creating a department called Guest Experience that was really responsible for they're the advocate for the guest, I call them. So is the website right? Is it easy to navigate? Is the parking clear? Is it easy to park and get in here, which is one of the reasons we push for a new parking garage? They operate the entrance to get you in quickly and change that whole process. If you think about it, just seven years ago, even if you bought an online ticket at the zoo, you still had to stop at the ticket booth to pick up a ticket. And those mm-hmm. kind of, every member had to stop at a booth to go in. And so we've modernized that whole process where we could do maybe 500 people an hour at the front gate, now to 2,000 an hour. So really mm-hmm. fixing wow. processes to make the visit good. And then park cleanliness, when I got here, we were outsourcing it to a third-party company. We do a much better job doing it ourselves. And then all the experiences we've added, like the giraffe feed, you can go in with tortoises now. You can go in and pet kangaroos now. You can go into the lorries and feed the lorries. We have all these behind-the-scene experiences of not only animals, but of our conservation center and our animal hospital and those kind of things, really turning the zoo inside out so people can see all the aspects of what we do. Because the zoo that you visit is just a really small part of what we're actually doing locally and worldwide, but it supports everything else we're doing. So that's really important for our guests to make that quality. But having employees engaged and talking to guests on the pathways, little things that we take for granted, like directional signs, we just added the last couple of years. Right. UR here maps, nice big UR here maps are here now. <laughs> so if it's easy for the guests, they're going to stay longer, they're going to have a better time. And that benefits them and us at the same time. So you mentioned worldwide and reading a little bit more about what you guys do as far as outside research, outside of even just the zoo. Because I feel like there are a lot of people just say, okay, well, I'm going to take our kids to the zoo. We're going to check it out. This, everything looks great. But you guys do so much more than that. What are some of the initiatives you guys are in charge of? Yeah, when people visit us, I don't think a lot of times they even realize they're funding conservation worldwide. So we're accredited by the Association of Zoo and Aquariums. And if you take that organization, which is 200 plus zoos, Combined, we put in over $220 million into conservation every single year. So every 10 years, a billion dollars back into the wild. Mm. And that's not only money, but that's staff. Zoos have staff all over the world. We have a team in Iquitos, Peru, and the Amazon. So our animal care teams, and by default, the zoo helps fund conservation efforts of giraffe and elephant and rhino. Even if we're not there, we're funding organizations that do those things. And then we have a department here called Conservation Research that does projects that we kind of own. So we have projects in Peru, in the Amazon, in Chile in the Gulf of Mexico, Japan, China, all over the world doing projects with our staff here that are always traveling the world and doing conservation work. And then here at our Center for Conservation Research on the grounds, we house a lot of endangered species, even some from the Edwards Aquifer here, like the blind salamander that people know here in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. We're working with that species. People have bred those before in the care of man, but nobody has figured out what makes them breed. And in order to assure that you have a future for them, you need to know what makes them breed as well. So if something happened to the aquifer that you could pull that trigger to make them start breeding. And so we're writing that playbook for that species and a couple of others that the federal government calls us and says, hey, we have this salamander. It only lives in these two ponds on one of our Air Force bases in the world anymore. 
we can't get them to breed. We can't collect them without losing them. So can you guys help? And we go and do those kind of things. And so wow. worldwide, we're doing projects to save wild places and animals in the mm-hmm. places they live. So pretty rewarding that when you have these teams out all over the world doing these projects and absolutely and you can take people down to the Amazon and see the impact we're having right. just by going on a trip to see it. One of the concepts y'all had was, yes, it's about conservation of the animals, but hey, the people that actually live in these areas need support as well. Even creating revenue streams for those groups of people. What are some of the things you guys do for that? I think how conservation has changed probably over the last 30, 40 years is you can't just go in and throw a bunch of money at putting fences up around animals on man-managed land. You have to have the community buy-in that those Mm -hmm. animals are valuable to their community or to their culture. And then it starts being protected because if there's no value to the animals. A couple of examples are one elephant. So I'm right now the president of the International Elephant Foundation. And a lot of elephants are killed in human conflict because if you're a farmer in Africa or Asia and you have a small crop that you depend on to feed your family and make all your money and an elephant comes through and knocks it out in one night, you're going to kill that elephant because mm-hmm. that's your livelihood and that's what happens. So that group, we fund projects to help deter elephants from doing those kind of things, experimental projects to try to find new ways, but also education of those kids at the schools there about the importance of elephants to that whole ecosystem. If you lose the elephants, you start losing everything. Mm. Another one is Project Selva. So in the Amazon in Peru, we work with indigenous groups. And this COVID year was the perfect example of what we've been saying for seven years before this. These indigenous groups don't deal in cash. They don't buy and sell in cash and they don't deal with contracts. So what has traditionally happened is if illness comes like malaria or this year COVID, Miners and loggers will come in with the vaccine and say, we'll give you the vaccine if you sign the rights to your property over us to mine and log. And mm. you have at that point, you think about this indigenous group that has a choice of I lose my entire group or I let these people come on my land and take trees, and which they don't understand the global impact of that either. Mm-hmm. And so when COVID hit, one of the groups we work with is the Bora in the Amazon. We have a staff in Iquitos that we have trained as artists. I'll circle back to that. But nobody from the Peruvian government went and told these indigenous groups what was happening in the world. So all of a sudden, they're just like, everybody's gone. We can't go to the city. Nobody's coming to see us anymore because they're on the edge of the Amazon. They depend on some tourism. They make little wood animals out of balsa wood and things like that. Then we buy them. If you want us to buy five, we'll buy five. If you want us to buy 50,000, we'll buy 50,000. And we sell those in our gift shop. Obviously, that doesn't make enough money for us to have a staff in Iquitos. We have to have a boat to go into the Amazon. We have to have an office and a house for the staff and those kind of things. So we trained our staff down there on the Japanese fish printing art. So they get fish from fish markets or fish farms or actually catch the fish that they catch in the Amazon and they fish print those create these beautiful art pieces. Some are, we've had them on display in the airport and some other galleries, but some are like 12 foot long fish. Oh my gosh. Or eight feet long fish. And so these beautiful art pieces and piranha and all these other fish. And then we sell those in art galleries and things. And that art really funds our staff, which is supporting the Bora. But during COVID, they got a hold of us and said, you know, we don't know what's happening. We don't have enough gardens to support everybody. We can't get to the city. Nobody's coming to us. We don't have any money. So we started shopping. And every couple of weeks, we take down food, water, medicine, and supplies to them so that they could survive. They were literally starving to death. And masks, they didn't have masks, they had no concept. So you can try to imagine explaining a worldwide pandemic to an indigenous group, right. no concept. And then right. so we're still supporting them right now with our staff going in. Unfortunately, our boat sunk a few weeks ago, so we're building a new boat right now. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. I mean, wood does not last long in the Amazon, so we're building a nice big metal boat now. And a couple other zoos partner with us. Moody Gardens just said this week they want to come in and partner on this project. So it's been fun to watch that grow and protect those indigenous groups. When, mm-hmm. you, when you protect them, you protect their strains of land, which is good for all of us because we're losing our lung with the loss of the Amazon. Man, so the, the conversations that happen at this board table have got to be pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
how would you how would you describe your your job? I mean, you know, executive director sounds way too simple and way <laughs> too broad. Uh, maybe they kept it broad for a reason, but um, you know, like I mean, there's a, there's a level of, of fundraising, a level of networking, a level of uh, local involvement, a lot of worldwide involvement. Yeah. Um, how do you stay ahead of all that? Sure, it's really evolved over the last seven years. So when I first got here, it was get the zoo in the place it needs to be for me to start doing outside things. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really working with the team, getting the infrastructure improved, getting the experience improved, um, getting out in the community and meeting everybody, which my first two years, I think I was probably out six events a week, um, just so everyone knew who I was and we could start kind of building towards the future. He's also on the Alumni Association board, so. Yes, I yes, have to look at my, yeah, I, I love my UTSA alumni. I, uh, I have to look at my bio to see what boards I'm on. <laughs> yeah. but, but all of that is part of getting the zoo reconnected with the community and vice versa, the community becoming connected with us again. I mean, I feel like that would be the biggest role that you have is visibility. Yeah, it's become that now. Now it's fundraising. We're going into a big capital campaign. So probably 80% of my job will be fundraising. So leading up to it, it was infrastructure, then kind of culture, and then getting the right people in place and the right structure of people in the place. So Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, we've added a deputy director and a COO, both who are UTSA alumni. (laughs) <laughs> and um, getting the right people in all the right places so this zoo can basically run itself without me having to get in the weeds and all those kind of things. So we have a great team in place, which now I'm moving into a new role, which is fundraising and learning because I came from the for-profit world for 20-something years working at the theme parks. And basically, we operate the same, but the biggest difference is I used to go to corporate and say, hey, want to build Aquatica for San Antonio? It's $35 million or whatever it was. And corporate would fund it. Now I go to people and foundations and corporations to ask for them to really buy into our vision and our mission. To it's a different kind of ask. Yes. Yeah. But the ask for the zoo has such an impact on San Antonio. I think it's easy. I yeah. mean, it's for our kids, future kids of San Antonio, and for conservation of this planet. Zoos always talk about they're about conservation and education. The biggest thing we have ever done at the zoo was that school. Mm-hmm. So we have put our money where our mouth is with Will Smith Zoo School and then mm-hmm. building this conservation team, which is probably eight years old now. And we've been growing and growing and not adding a lot of projects, but adding staff. So we're doing these projects correctly and not doing them short term and then out. And that's what's happened in a lot of conservation projects. If so somebody goes in, dumps a lot of money and leaves, and then the people that get the money have big parties for until the money's gone. And then they go right back to living day to day because that's how they've lived thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so our projects are long term and we're building that team out and really proud of our conservation work. That's incredible. I mean, I, I, I applaud you for being able to maintain a level of composure amongst all that stress because I, I, I couldn't imagine <laughs> taking all that on. And I may have not have been on the job description when you, when you accepted <laughs> yeah. the job. COVID was not on the job description. No, sure. it wasn't. Yeah. A, a deep freeze yeah. probably wasn't either. What events do you guys have coming up? I mean, you had mentioned when you walk around, anytime you come to the zoo, you see construction going on everywhere, which I believe is extremely important because, again, you want to revitalize the zoo about every quarter, I would imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. So something new, something different. Yeah, we're constantly have projects and upgrades going on construction-wise, and then we've layered a lot of events over the zoo for the last year. And I think that's one of my lessons coming from the parks was events, events, events drive uh, return visitors. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the zoo of yesteryear was kind of always the same. Not just this zoo, every zoo. It's kind of the same visit every time you came. You saw the same animals, check the boxes. They're in the same places. And so we've really been event-heavy and focused. Like right now, if you walk the zoo, we have dinosaurs out still. We have Halloween going and Christmas lights going up (laughs) and construction. So there's a lot going on. I just saw the dragons coming in. Yeah, dragons across the street. (laughs) So literally, I got here in December of 14 and I was with the Cedar leadership team and I asked them like, why don't we do lights and somebody responded you know we tried it it didn't work Uh, my question was when and they said like 25 30 years ago 1925 so (laughs) we're gonna try again and so we've launched our zoo lights in 2015 the next year we had zoo lights and it's been a huge hit for us zoo boo used to be a two-night event at the zoo like three hours two nights at the end of october after hours separate ticket we got rid of that that's a six-week 
Zubu now all mixed in during the day. So your membership also covers Zoo Lights and Zubu for six weeks of Zubu, six weeks of Zoo Lights. All summer we had dinos and dragons. So the traditional zoo, we had dinosaurs. And for the first time ever, we used the other side of 281 and did a walkthrough dragon experience. We had never really used that side of the highway, but the garage lets us do that now. Right. Yeah. Spring break, we have Jungle Boogie break. All summer we do Jungle Boogie nights where we stay up and later. We have adult events like Zulala, which is a big food and wine mm-hmm, festival. Mm-hmm. On a stick, which we made up during COVID. You know, we were all devastated. I love Fiesta as much as Christmas probably. <laughs> and we lost Fiesta that year, worst fest in the state fair. So we made up an event called On a Stick, the festivals you missed. And we've kept it now because it's huge. We added Mardi Gras this year. So oh it's God. just a really fun event. Having those events and bands, and like right now we have a DJ with a dance party in an area, it just adds a whole nother level of fun to the zoo. And as a member, especially, you can come a couple times a month now, and it's going to be something different every time you come. I think that's what's fascinating, too, is just trying to keep everything fresh. And then having the proper team around you to be able to execute and follow through. Then here comes the other half of being the executive director. Yes, you have to be visible, and yes, you have to make sure that everything is taken care of, but... I'm sure you surround yourself with teams that can do that. Yeah, we have it. It's funny because the first year we had zoo lights and we were starting to expand Zubu. The teams were tired. Like, this is usually our off-season in October, November, December. I said, there's there's no off-season anymore. (laughs) And now I think they've seen how much it has helped with the zoo. Revenue we make from these events has helped us do all the upgrades and pay increases. So they're seeing the benefit of Mm. that and increased conservation work and all these things. So now they're all in. Now I can't even slow them down. Departments are developing new realms for Zubu this year, new realms for Zoolice. They're just so excited about doing these projects and that they can just be creative. Mm. And as you walk the zoo now, you'll see a lot of theming. So we're taking people not only to see the animals in those places, but we want to make them feel like they're in those places. Africa Live, which opened in 2007, was the first time our zoo had done theming of a realm. Like it feels like Africa, you've got this cave and this market. And so we've been continuing that with, we've added Australian realm. Right now under construction is our South American fishing realm. All the front gate and intersections we've done, theming on the buildings and music for that area of the world. So we've been adding all these elements too. And I go to the maintenance construction team and I'm like, hey, so imagine this is an outpost right before you go into the Amazon. What would it look like? Go. And they, <laughs> and they just create. And they don't tell me. They love not telling me now. We're going to surprise you. We're going to surprise you. And they just oh, knock it out of the park every single time. They're having a lot of fun doing it. Well, they're, I, I they're read, unleashed. I read somewhere that you have like your teams that have the different parts of the zoo and then they have... Uh, what is it's like the tv show like flip this habitat yeah we did flip this habitat. yeah flip this habitat so Uh they they have a competition internally and try to try to create the best habitat that's awesome yeah it's really cool to engage your employees that way yeah Yeah. i think we have the best zoo crew in the country not even close flip this habitat was fun where we started updating habitats and making bigger spaces for the animals and nobody knows those species better than the caretakers that take care of those Mm -hmm. particular species Mm -hmm. so we had the department's they would do a couple a month, and then the senior leadership team would walk and judge them, and they would the winning team got T-shirts or pizzas or whatever it was. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Was, we made it like the TV show, Flip This Habitat. And, they, <laughs> That's and awesome. we just continued that momentum. Now they're unleashed in that department, too, to just go to town and make these habitats look great. When I was applying to come here, I would look at Google images of different zoos, and ours is very brown. So right. we're yeah. in cliff walls because we're built in a quarry. Mm-hmm. All the buildings are limestone from the quarry. And then a lot of the habitats had crushed granite and those kind of things as base. And we've really tried to green it up within the habitats. We had the beautiful trees and things outside the habitats. But as you look at habitats, very brown. So mm-hmm. we've really been trying to make those look more natural, like the places that those animals are from. And that's how really zoos are judged now. It used to be who has the most habitats or the most animals. Mm-hmm. And so, and we still have some of the small menagerie style where zoos used to have one of each animal, including like this zoo had a gorilla at the front gate by himself at the space now that we have lemurs. And we question, is that big enough for lemurs? And so zoos have grown much smarter over the last hundred years on how to take care of animals socially and physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. So now you're really judged by who has the most natural 
largest enriching habitats for the animals mm-hmm. and kind of takes you to that place where that animal's from. So our keepers know that better than anyone. So we just unleash them as well. So wow. awesome. it's been a lot of creativeness happening and we have a really dedicated team. You talk about COVID and Snowvid. I mean, they couldn't not come. Snowvid's a good example. Everyone was having the same problems at their house that we all were with no power, no water, broken pipes, and they're here every day yeah. spending the night for a week wow. taking care of animals and the infrastructure and those kind of things. So they're dedicated beyond <laughs> dedication. Yeah. Right. So talking about your incredible staff and surprises, you all made a big announcement. I mean, it made national headlines that you were able to provide your employees back pay for what they right. had lost. So talk about, had that been part of your original plan with COVID or was it once you start to see that you were able to keep things funded correctly and all that, that that became an idea and how did you keep it a secret? Yeah, that's good, good questions. <laughs> well, so when COVID hit, since I got here, we have been talking about, I mentioned earlier, my mentor, Dan Decker, SeaWorld Arc philosophy back in those days was we treat the employees like family and in turn, they will treat guests like family. And it works. And I saw it work there before. So it's what I brought here. Fast forward six years, COVID hits and I go to the board. I'm like, we have some problems. <laughs> yeah. But we've been talking about we're family here for six years. So now it's time for us to put our money where our mouth is. And the board agreed. They were aligned. If we had to leverage our future to keep everybody, that our goal was to get through COVID without a layoff, which is pretty incredible for a hospitality center where mm-hmm. people, you sure. depend on people visiting. And everyone has seen other zoos around the country laying off hundreds, other theme parks laying off hundreds, restaurants, hotel, everybody. So we all pitched in really for the animals and each other. So our hourly employees went from 40 hours a week to 32 to help with expenses. Mm-hmm. All the salary took salary cuts, starting with me, the biggest percentage, and we worked our way down. I offered to work for free multiple times. The board would not take my <laughs> offer, but literally just because we love each other, want to take care of each other. So I knew in the back of my mind, someday if we have the funds again, we want to repay that. We shouldn't just put it necessarily into the infrastructure or the operations. And so... We've been kind of doing that with our funding anyway. You know, whatever we have left over at the end of the year, we put back into the zoo. And we've been alternating guest experience stuff and then employee experience stuff every year. So we take care of the employees at the same time. But people have been really supportive of the zoo through philanthropy and visiting. And we knew coming out of COVID, the zoo would be a place people would go because it's outdoors. It's not huge. Mm-hmm. It feels safe. It's not too tactile where you have to touch everything. So when we were in a good shape to do it, I was like, now's the time. Let's let's give everyone their money back they gave up last year. So I only told two people, our marketing VP who had to help me with some messaging and the HR director. And I really wanted to get it, hand them a check at the ceremony, but mm-hmm. HR is like, as soon as we process the money, they're going to get a notification that it, something was deposited. Oh, so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind. We'll do a letter. So we told everyone, meet at the Rhino Deck, 7.30 for a tacos with Tim. And we had breakfast tacos for everybody. And all the rumors were flying, oh, they're going to announce a new habitat, new big donor. We're all getting laid off. (laughs) Nobody had any idea. So I was super happy to tell them. And it's really because of them that we were able to do that because of all their hard work through COVID and drive through zoo. And it's probably the hardest all of us have ever worked in our lives was during 2020 while we were closed or at restrictions because we were in survival mode. So to surprise them with that money back, which none of them expected back, I don't think ever. You know, some of them did TV interviews afterwards and things like that because it did go viral worldwide that they were saying we did this for each other and for the animals and we understood it and we're happy mm-hmm. to still have jobs. And so this is a really nice surprise and my most fun day at work ever yeah. <laughs> but, to but give those employees their money back. You go back to what the zoo is in terms of support for community locally, but also internationally all the way, you know, to global support. But just keeping it local, when your guests come through the door and they go to these events and they donate to the zoo, in turn, it directly impacts the people who work here and who are our neighbors and our friends and family. You're helping them support their families. And I think that's a pretty incredible kind of circle of life there. That yeah, we have an economic impact here of over $100 million a year. That's incredible. Uh, people that visit mm-hmm. us and the employees that we support, the construction jobs that we support because we've been doing construction since we started. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a big economic impact. But for me during COVID, I mean, my first thought was, 
man, 700 employees and I'm responsible for all of them and their families. And so yeah. it's, it was a lot of pressure, but luckily I have a great leadership team that just thought out of the box or whatever, the box didn't exist. And we came through that strong and really cranked up our fundraising. You know, a lot of people, we talked about it at the beginning, I thought the zoo was city run and city funded. Mm-hmm. And we were literally two weeks from launching a marketing campaign. At the beginning of March, we had finalized the campaign to tell the community that we are a nonprofit. We need donations to help us operate. We're not subsidized. Oh, man. Um, so we had it all ready to launch. And then COVID hit. And we said, well, the verbiage is done. That? The verbiage. Yeah. But we just took the verbiage and really put it into action because we had to tell people we need help. You know, we oh, okay. we went to the city for help. And the city was like, we can't help you. I mean, the hotel tax is gone. No one's coming to San Antonio anymore. So good luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went back. And the nice thing about San Antonio is everyone's collaborative. So I was talking to the GMs of the theme parks every couple of days. The museum group here, we're all talking to each other. The zoo community through our associations was all talking. So you never really felt alone. I didn't feel alone because I had all those other people to lean on and talk to that was kind of going through the same situations. Mm-hmm. Man. But it was a challenging time. But for our zoo, we're going to look back at 2020 and be like, that was one of the best years of our careers and the most proud we've ever been of anything. Where a lot of institutions will be like, that was the worst year ever. <laughs> what we did is pretty incredible, I think, what this team did in San Antonio. Not only for themselves and the animals here, but the community to really stay engaged, even while we were closed. We went from two or three social media posts today to doing live yoga every day, classroom activities for your kids at home, live Facebook with keepers, live tours on social. So we really wow. got into people's homes too, because we're like, well, our mission is to connect all these people yeah. and we can't come here. So let's go to them. So we really focused on that. We also knew we want to be top of mind when everybody reopens that you want to think about, I want to go to the zoo because I missed it. And, and that's what we saw. Man, wow. I remember being at UTSA and I was a student at the time when Lucky's Habitat mate passed away yeah and it was this whole uproar and this petition going around and shut down their habitat send lucky to a place where elephants can live out their lives and i was just like oh my gosh i can't believe this mate is gone and all this stuff and i remember signing the petition and so fast forward to where we are today i mean the zoo is honestly a completely different place it's seen completely differently in the community and what I thought of the zoo as a kid and then, you know, seeing stories like that of not that the animals were endangered, but just those kinds of things always pop up, right? And they tend to get some traction. But I think the transformation that has happened under your leadership has been pretty incredible. I had just come from SeaWorld and we had gone through four ownership groups in four years. So I mean, super rough transitions mm-hmm. of di- four very different styles of ownership. And then during that time is when Blackfish came out. Oh, yes. And someone needs to do a study on how poorly SeaWorld responded to Blackfish because the whole movie is not true. And I know some of those people and the true stories and those kind of things, but it did a masterful job of confusing people and making you think these things about SeaWorld that were not happening or hadn't happened in 50 years, but Mm -hmm. they make it look like it's still happening, those kind of things. So fast forward, I come here, we have the elephant controversy and I came from a place that did not stick up for itself or had not been telling its story. Mm Because you look at what Mm -hmm. SeaWorld and Busch Gardens Parks have been rescuing 30-something thousand animals, educating millions. But we had never talked about We just did it. Right. We were part of Anheuser-Busch, so we were this little bitty piece of this giant beer company. So to the big company, it wasn't that important that we talked about those things. Mm -hmm. Just operate and be quality and and do Mm -hmm. the right thing. But we had never talked about it. So my lesson coming from that here was like, you got to tell your story or someone will make one up for you. Yep. And so when I got here, I knew about the lucky things happening. We had some protesters every weekend and some media happening. And so before I even started, I went and met with, I'd been hired, but I I met with the elephant staff without any leadership because the zoo stance had been lucky will die if we try to move her. She's been here since the 60s. Right, yeah. And the staff always like, hands down, yes, she would die if we tried to move her. 
she has, before I got here, has no teeth. We have to grind her hay every single day and feed her so she can process food. She'd have been dead in the wild 20 years ago mm-hmm. at a sanctuary or someplace where they just can roam around. They're going to stay right at the barn anyway because that's where the food is. And if Lucky doesn't have that individualized care, she's not going to survive with mm-hmm. a bunch of other elephants. So started sticking up for the zoo and telling our story and working to make things better from day one. And I remember I have a picture on my phone from like, I started December 1st, like on Christmas day, I was here and took pictures from up on the cliff wall of the habitat, trying to make that bigger and figure out how to get more elephants in and those kind of things. And we brought the two golden girls from Ringling and they've been a great triplets ever since. And Lucky is 60 now and in great shape. So Wow. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, she's really thrived with the other two elephants. And and we were very picky on who we brought too because the elephant she was with before had been a confiscation from a private owner. And Lucky and that elephant did not get along at all. Her life base really dropped during that time. She hoarded food because she didn't want to be around him. So she'd go eat everything in the mornings. Then she'd sit in a corner away from him and or in the pool because she knew he wouldn't come in the pool. So she didn't have a fun mm-hmm. time, a good time during that time. She's always really been bonded to people more. Mm-hmm. And so we were really picky with the elephants that we were going to bring in to make sure that it was a fit for her, not for our appearance as an organization. Right. Right. So we had been working on bringing elephant for a year, but I couldn't say it publicly because the people that were suing us for Lucky's issues, which were also not true, would have sued me to stop me because it wasn't about Lucky. It was about elephants and zoos and those kind mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. It's a much bigger picture, but it's worked out really well for the girls. And some of the, some of the people that protested out front, I'm friends with now, and they see the things we're doing at the zoo with conservation and improving the zoo experience. You know, our Jaguar walk right now is going to give our Jaguars 120% more space to roam. Wow. And I could have multiple cats out at a time and those kind of things. So we're doing the right things and they see it. So they acknowledge it and they'll tell me, you know, I still don't really know if I like zoos, but I do appreciate what's happening at San Antonio <laughs> Zoo, and I appreciate you. So I've become friends with uh, a lot of those people oh, wow. that were out front protesting us before, because also I'm the kind of person that's anyone that says, you know, I don't think zoos should exist. I'm like, that's the person I want to talk to, because right. if you know what the zoos of today are doing and how they've improved, then it's a different zoo than you knew as a child or that yeah. you see in movies and those kind of things. So yeah. do you have a favorite animal? My favorite animal changes all the time, and right now oh. it's the jaguar, because it's usually what we're working oh, okay. on. Because you learn so much about that animal when you're working on the habitat. Cool. And I didn't grow up in working at a zoo. So some of our stuff that we've built here over the last few years has really been kind of out there. And so this jaguar walk no one's done before where you take a jaguar walk through another habitat and across the river and those kind of things. Because we don't think like traditional zoo staff. And so mm-hmm. those have been really fun. But just the power of jaguars. And you think about they could just hop in the water, swim, kill a crocodile, pull it out of the water and up into a tree and eat it. I mean, power is amazing. Their ability to stalk is amazing. And they're just oh. gorgeous and beautiful. And the fact they used to live here where we are now, there used to be jaguars here. There's a jaguar spotted that's been crossing in Arizona coming back in the U.S. And just three hours south of the border in Mexico, there's jaguars in rainforest. And we work oh, with wow. Gladys Porter Zoo on some conservation education programming down there too with jaguars. I mean, you could get in a car and drive five, six hours and be where jaguars are in the rainforest. And people have no concept of that. So yeah. to be able to tell those stories and work on conservation of a species that you have here and make their space much better for them, I think is really cool. So that's cool. my next one will be whatever next species we're working on, really. But it really changes all the time. But I've, yeah. I literally learn every day here. We do tours all the time behind the scenes with employees and animals. And I learn something every single time. But the biggest thing is I tell the employees all the time, like, you're going to take someone to pet a rhino and they're going to leave talking about you because people are just blown away by the passion and knowledge of our staff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they meet cool, incredible animals and do these great experiences, but they always 100% leave talking about the staff that was there. I could see how it would be with the amount of responsibility you have on your shoulders. It'd be easy to conquer down in the office and try to focus on the other things. But it is really inspiring to know that you go out, talk to your employees, be engaged with the visitors and the animals themselves. Really, congratulations on the success. And what can alumni do to get involved with the zoo? Lots of ways. One, they can visit and donate. And one great way to visit is every fall, we partner with the Alumni Association and do a combo 
membership. So you can get a deeply discounted Zoom membership with an alumni association membership nice. and get to do all the things that the alumni, which if you haven't been to the alumni tailgate, it's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> best party in town. Yeah, best right. party in town. Right. And then the zoo, you get all the events and a whole year of visitation to the zoo with oh, that that's membership. Awesome. So, so we'll actually include all that information on the show notes. Yeah. So if you are interested in that, uh, we'll blast it on the social medias too. Yep. Make sure, if, you, if especially if you are an alumni, not part of the alumni association yet, that is a really great deal. So yeah. uh, we'll make sure we get all that stuff posted as well. Tim, I know we've taken a ton of your time already, but thank you for the time. It's such an interesting story. You know, I was I was really intrigued on how does somebody get into a position that you're in and hearing what you're responsible for. I don't know if I would ever want to do that. So. <laughs> God bless you for being able to take on that amount of um, responsibility and stress. And I mean, it takes a special person to do that. And I really think that the fact that you put the animals first, then your people is, yeah. is really what is the driving factor because any sort of outside variables really doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. I tell people all the time, it's an honor to be at the helm of this zoo. It's historic. It's such a big part of San Antonio. So it's a lot of pressure, but my speed is hundred miles an hour all the time it really is yeah. <laughs> i remember story. i was asking my wife when i first started like is he gonna be able to sustain this she's like yeah, He's, I'm like, this is <laughs> yeah. but i do have to slow down sometimes when i see the team starting to get tired i'm seeing that a little bit this year coming out of covid so we'll take a little break in january february march but it's an honor to be at the helm here and that people support this zoo so much and for utsa alumni there's a lot of utsa alumni that are working here that's awesome yeah. we have a great roadrunner exhibit but this is a really fun place to work and visit and for them to know that a bunch of UTSA alumni are running San Antonio Zoo, which is getting this worldwide recognition for not only conservation and stuff we do on a serious note, like paying employees back, but we have super fun social media with Timothy the Hippo and all these crazy things that go viral. Like yeah. our Valentine's, you can name a cockroach or a rat after your ex, and we feed it on Facebook on Valentine's. <laughs> and that has gotten worldwide attention. So all these fun things that we're doing, and alumni can be proud to know, like that's an alumni-run organization yeah. that, that's yeah. um, really thriving in San Antonio and really supportive of UTSA back. That's so awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you so much, Tim. We really appreciate it. And again, like I said, we'll have all the information on the show notes. If you at least come and visit, give back to the zoo and give back to the alumni that are doing all this hard work to keep things going. But Tim, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you thank you. Birds up. Birds up. <laughs> Well, there you have it, Runner Nation, the interview with Tim Morrow from the San Antonio Zoo, executive director and alumni board member extraordinaire. Tim, we really appreciate the time that you gave us. Such a really cool venue to have an interview and really be able to check out his office and really learn more about his role as ED at the San Antonio Zoo. Yeah, it was a great interview. And an update, the black scorpion supposedly is crossing the street. So (laughs) (laughs) we're thankful that nobody was attacked. See, Uh, I'm still having, having trouble determining whether that was a joke because when we walked into his office I mean of course you know you heard in the interview like all the stuff he's involved with and things Uh he's responsible for there's boxes everywhere he's trying to get stuff going and it really looked like they're looking for something yeah like we walk in there and they're like scrambling around I was like oh man what's going on It was it was pretty interesting, and, and I mean the fact that you know we were we had to wait for Tim for a little while too, yeah. so it kind of led us to believe that they were actually looking for us. So Tim, uh, please let us know if that was for real or not. Uh, <laughs> maybe we were in danger, maybe we weren't. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> so, but you know, such a cool story. I guess he was always trying to go back and become like an FBI agent or going to law enforcement of some kind, but something kept pulling him back to it. Thankfully, they did because honestly, I think Tim is the perfect person for that job. Yeah, he's done such a tremendous job to really usher the zoo into a new era. And uh, word is, he's probably going to be around for another fifty years. Yeah, at leading least. the zoo. At you least. know, so yeah. yeah, he's a young man, so he's, I'm sure he can handle it. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
Thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. Such a great time over there. And don't forget that the Zoom membership drive starts on October 28th. You should be getting or have received the emails from the Alumni Association if you are an association member on Thursday, October 28th, which was yesterday. And then on the social media posts, I'm sure there's going to be all over the place as well for the alumni that are not members yet. Mm-hmm. So great opportunity, great value. And we're kind of coming into that season where it's going to be nice and cool outside so where it'd be a lot easier to take some of those little ones outside and go yeah. to the zoo. It's a great opportunity to become part of both organizations if you're not yet. Absolutely. Um, speaking of career transitions and changes and all that good stuff, here's a little bit of news if you don't know this already. If you're thinking about graduate school, did you know that one in every five UTSA undergraduates has gone on to grad school. I didn't know that. Sounds like a little tidbit of info. So right now the university is suspending test requirements. So GMAT, GRE, those test requirements have been suspended through spring, summer, and fall of 2022. And to make the process a little easier as well, you're also able to send in your unofficial transcripts for your actual application, and you won't have to submit your official transcripts until the end of the first semester of your registration. So if you're looking for an opportunity to further your career, take that next step, try something new, um, going to grad school might be the place for you, and UTSA is a wonderful place to do it. So um, take advantage of these opportunities to try to make that transition a little easier with less test score preparation and of course you're uh, being able to submit unofficial transcripts make the process and a this lot is easier. coming from somebody who got her undergrad and graduate degree at utsa and i remember you going through and like taking multiple exams trying to get ready to get yeah, grad school a lot of studying it was like weeks like of I, studying. I don't remember studying for the sat really uh you, like there was a time you were going to be a lawyer then you're like nah Oh, I did take the LSAT, and I was like, negatory. I am not doing this. Um, Even though to this day, your dad is like, you know, you could have been a lawyer. And I'm like, yeah, I guess engineering was like a dead-end street for me, Dad, now. So, you know. Shout out, Dad. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more about future UTSA Alumni Association hosted events that are coming up. November 2nd, from 12 to 1 o'clock, the Green Path Options to Tackle Your Debt. This is an online program you can take advantage of. It'll give you options, pros and cons of various debt repayment strategies, how to avoid the debt problems in your future, and how to get additional help if you need it. And I think they're also giving away some gift cards. Yeah, that's awesome. And and there's been a whole series of these too, which I think is really, really helpful, Um, especially for those young graduates, young alumni out there that are just really trying to figure their way. And when you want to talk about managing debt, we all know what kind of debt you're working with as we've all been there, student loan debt. Who? Oh, me? No, we're talking about the young <laughs> students. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Here we well, are. you're looking right at me like, God, you want to all like, debt your <laughs> Where else am I supposed to look? <laughs> okay, so I had to take a couple student loans to make it, you know, yeah, to survive. Yeah, well, so did I. And, and you know, like, I'm, I kind of wish that we had some of these classes to kind of fall back on. But, yeah. again, there's a whole series of these. This one is on tackling your debt. Other, <laughs> the others have been on improving credit your card. credits and yeah, credit, credit cards. Yeah, so, uh, um, speaking of student loans. Repayment options. There is also a training coming up on the 9th, hosted by Green Path. And this is also another 12 to 1 o'clock online opportunity to talk about a segue. 
I know. <laughs> How to manage your repayment options for your student loans. So I know it's a lot of students are going to be leaving UTSA with those student loans. And it's great to kind of start to get a handle on how that repayment process works. And of course, as you're transitioning into hopefully a job, you know, how do you manage all of that? So juggling all of these new things as you transition out of undergrad or graduate school into the real life workforce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's a lot of valuable information and it's really kind of the first thing you really got to consider because number one, you're taking on this massive debt in order to finish your school. There is support out there. There is yeah, help for absolutely. that. You do have a network of, of alumni here that are willing to help. Well, since we're talking about how to manage all of your expenses, um, you can definitely make all of these things work. It's just careful planning and uh, being able to navigate all these things as an adult. It's, absolutely. it's part of the grown-up process. Absolutely. We have a bye week this week in football, November 6th, UTSA versus UTEP in El Paso. Um, It is on the radar that ESPN is looking at that game for college game day. Game day, yeah. But let's see what happens this weekend UTEP plays. They didn't have a game last weekend, so we'll see. We might be facing a 7-1 and UTEP team. I really hope that they do select UTSA and UTEP for the college game day. I think that would be huge for both universities. I Um, mean, for us, it's always game of the week. Right, yeah. So... And shout out to the alumni that are going to go out to El Paso, and they've yeah. they're already putting together a yeah, tailgate be, party. Yep, there's going to be some tailgating uh, organization going on, yeah. official organization going on. So keep an eye out for that for those folks who are traveling over to El Paso to cheer on our roadrunners. Stay safe for those on the road. For those of us staying in San Antonio, there will be watch parties posted online, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And then November 13th is our next home game versus Southern Miss. So we're excited to have the football team back. Roadrunner. Nation tailgate gates open at 11:30 a.m. and volunteers are needed. So yeah. if there's any alumni out there that are interested in helping us uh, put these events on and volunteering some time mm-hmm. to keep things moving, please get in contact with us. Yep. You know we could use all the help that we can get. But, yeah, more um, details for all of this stuff is on utsa.edu/backslash/alumni. Like we post the events, links to register, all that good stuff. So um, stay tuned and uh, we can't wait to uh, cheer on our roadrunners of all sports to uh, victory. Well, there you have it, roadrunners. We appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, share, download, and let other fellow Roadrunners know that we're here. The more the merrier. We're going to have some more opportunities for alumni to get engaged. Stay tuned for the next episode. And birds up. Birds up.